Hello everyone, welcome to XYZ Podcast. I'm Gary. Today, uh, I'm glad to invite uh, LM Studio to join us to have a conversation about design and also uh, a new startup, I would say. Actually, they are not really new. They've been in the industry for a few years. But yeah, and, and I sort of browsed through their Instagrams before that and I thought, okay, it's quite interesting. You know, I, I should invite um, Leonard, who is the founder of LM Studio. Um, it's not really strange in a way because I originally knew the profiles from my friend or um, from May actually. Like May is actually my, um, my colleague back in where I was working. So now May is working for uh, working in LM Studio, so I'm glad to invite Leonard on the line. So hi, Leonard, how are Thank you? Thank you. Good, good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. it's great. Uh, now we're doing this overseas, six, yeah. seven hours apart. Yeah, you're still <laughs> able to do this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, what if we? What? Why not? We just do some, you know, introduction. Like, where are you from, and how how old are you? Because you look really, really young, isn't it? Oh. Thanks, thanks. Uh, some people think I have already have a kid. Uh, I'm 29. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, not too young, not too old, but uh, hitting my 30s soon. Mm. It's exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm from PJ, KL, born and bred there, never left. Uh, and I studied in PJ as well. Mm. Uh, up until my master's, I studied in Germany. Right. That's south, next right. to Bauhaus. Yep. And then, and then you graduated from Taylor's, right? And then, uh, yeah, if no mistaken, right. like your classmate, like Pamela or Eugene. Yep, yep. There, there are many of them, and we are all uh, in different. I wouldn't say different industries, but everyone are still in a creative line mm. and doing different great things. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of things we can learn from them as well. So it's great if you one day could bring them on board and then have a chat. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did thought of Pamela because Pamela is actually I used. To, uh, I I worked with her on a mural as actually this like a mural in some um PPR project back then when I was working in ZLG. So it is like a community work. So I I knew her pretty well. I think <laughs> there's like yeah. I I I think she's doing quite good with all sort of things from small to huge scales. Um, but before that, uh, and you did mention like you graduated from Bauhaus also. So before all this started, I wanted to know like w- how how did you come into architecture? Well, architecture itself, I think everyone has their own story. Mm. If I were to tell you mine, then it's gonna be like hilarious because it, it's not so much like a fairy tale story where oh, you know, when I was six years old, my dream was to be an architect. Nope, mm. not really. Uh, I was 16, 17. I was pondering whether I want to be an engineer or an architect. I thought, oh, first day of class, I guess architecture would definitely be... <laughs> architecture sounds a little bit more interesting. Mm. So I enrolled into it and here I am. <laughs> mm. It is interesting in what way? I'm I'm curious, like, what sort of things that you find it? Oh, okay, architecture is interesting. It's, it's really by imagination. So uh, uh, I kind of developed this practice of imagining things before I do certain things. For instance, uh, signing up for anything, buying anything. Mm. So if I were to buy a phone, like everyone would, mm. everyone has like that sort of impulsive purchase uh, intention. Mm. But I'm 
I'm, I'm definitely one of them as well. But I try to put me my, myself through this exercise of trying to imagine like a process of how you're gonna get into uh, this experience two weeks down the road, two months down the road. How would you feel having this? So I guess with my very limited uh, exposure and knowledge about architecture, then that's what I felt about it. So I was mm. like, oh, that is that probably not something to do with math, and it's a lot of drawing. I don't have to hold a lot of books, mm. so I just enrolled. <laughs> so, yeah. if have you ever considered like, what if, if if it's not architecture, then what would you be or what would you interest in? I mean, of course, uh, along the way, you absorb more things in the world. You see how things function, and you realize that there are so many other professions mm. available out there for you to choose from. Right. Uh, at one point, it's hilarious that I thought of doing sound engineering or automotive designing. Uh, it's crazy ideas, you know. Um, from a very conservative upbringing, you would naturally think that those are just uh, off the mark. It's not something safe, you know. Sound engineering, what 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 are you gonna be employed as, right? Mm. So, architect, straightforward. You're gonna be building a building or a development somehow or other someone needs to build something right mm. yep. well when it comes to sound engineering that I, I i i think it is still not impossible for you to trying things like that into your architectural works as well right because i i'm not sure i'm not sure if you've been testing out like sound or music with architecture together as one piece or things? No, I have not. But now that you pointed it out, it is really interesting that I can look into it. So why I mentioned sound engineering is because uh, I was uh, slightly addicted to audiophile when I was uh, in college. So I saved money to buy speakers, headphones, mm. you know. Mm. Um, I have an appreciation for it. But now that you, you move along with life, busy life, how often would you like sit in the room and then just really relax in a, for an hour listening to music? So uh, that kind of sort of faded along the way. Mm. But nonetheless, I, I still have appreciation for it. You know, So mm. like you mentioned, architecture, sound, why not? There are a lot of things that we can marry together. Mm. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, exploration. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. I, I recently, I was look up into this uh, Insta page He's actually, I think he's a designer, not really an architect, but but actually no difference. Uh. So he was using the cardboard and also like pendulums, like ping pongs or things to create sound. Mm. So it's like an installation. I'm not sure if you saw it before. So mm. usually a ping pong ball, it will attach to a string. It will automate it to create this kind of bouncing sound or oscill uh, you know, oscillation to create like a installation, I would say. Mm. Um, I, I, I attach a, a, a reference, uh, you know. Uh, anyway, so when, when speaking of when, you know, back in Taylor's time, we've been exposed to so much medium to um, explore your ideas. For example, even video is part of one, one, one of it, or even doing music or, uh, or sketches or even uh, model. So there are a lot, it's a huge spectrum of choice for you to explore your concept or express a thing. So at that point of time, do you ever, have ever thought that, you know, hmm, maybe I can make a video or make songs in, in architecture as well? It's like finding a leisure time in that. Um, never have I thought of that. And uh, it's definitely one of the greater regrets, you know, we have. Um, because I believe like myself when I was like 
probably 18, 19, you mm. probably wouldn't have that courage to like explore beyond your, the realm that you're in. Um, of course, until a point where I got myself into masters and I realized that there are so many ways of ex- expressing ourselves, uh, like you mentioned, different mediums, right? Um, partly because I, so it's a dilemma where you could you could say that it is what the unity uh, confine you within this space of expression, mm. which is, for instance, you gotta have eight A one boards, you gotta have two sections, four elevations and two floor plans, you know, stuff like that. It, it kind of confine you. And sometimes when I look at it, it's, it's good and bad at the same time. But if you look from an expressive point of view, there are so many other ways that you could do it. Right. Mm. So for instance, I, I, I haven't gotten to that far of using music and videos to express what I'm doing, but there are one way you could, uh, there's one way I did it for my thesis was, not having a single printed board, but I use laser cutting to cut out every single um, floor plan section. Oh. Wow. Everything. So so it's everything laser cut on a MDF board. So what that does is you only see the brown and the black lines, the brown background and the black lines. Um, it was just an experiment. I, I thought I was just going to wing it. You know, if it if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. At least mm. I tried. <laughs> yeah. It's- is that part of your thesis in Bauhaus, is it, or, or Taylor's? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right in uh, Germany. Right, right, right. So when you mention Bauhaus, right, Bauhaus is actually not exactly an uh, institution. Mm. So I was in Dessau um, International Architecture. So that institution is tied very well with Bauhaus. Bauhaus mm. is very much more like a museum right now. Ah, so okay. what they essentially do is they carry on the archives, the learning and the knowledge, you know, to spread. But what the uni does is it's learning from Bauhaus. Mm, mm, mm. So they borrowing they, the knowledge from Bauhaus. Mm, so they inherit the philosophy from Walter Gruppius. Exactly. Mm, mm, yeah, the Corbusier. Yeah, mm, that's right. Mm. So what 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 if like there's uh when, when when mentioned about like throughout maybe your two years in masters right what is the memorable things the most memorable things that you take away from throughout this master time? Um. So I always talk about how uh I learn from the environment I'm in instead of uh um going through different sort of uh, education it it's like when you're in high school mm. you're in this environment where you're meant to do certain things so if you notice how um independent high school are taught differently private high schools are taught differently same mm. goes to the kabangsaan right mm. and then i don't think that i i did very well in high school and then when i went to the university in taylor's college i realized that oh this is a different system that we're in mm. let me see what can we do to strive better so, you know, there are certain things when you put in a certain effort, you will get a result. Mm. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't work the same way as high school. Because if high school you study, you get 100 bucks, right? If you don't, you don't. But in the university, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you've done your best, you will get what you deserve. Mm. So, there is another sort of um, formula to it that mm. comes 
not just from the education point of view, but also your skill set, uh, how you deal with the people. Mm. What kind of stuff would you need to put in? The kind of effort and time. Mm. Does it mean that you spend like five sleepless nights? You're gonna get a good grace. Does it mean so? I'm not very sure because I haven't tried. So the mm. most is three. <laughs> <laughs> so um, answering your question now, going to um, masters, and it gave me a whole new different perspective. It made me realize that there are a lot of things that tying back to the first question you had, expression. Expressing what you have in your mind has many ways to it. It's how much you want to explore. Mm. So uh, the way I presented my thesis was one of it, and I I thought that you know if it works, it you know it works. So another great thing I took away from masters was the lecturers. The lecturers are mainly from various different countries. I, I my thesis lecturer is from Afghanistan. And the the previous one is from Argentina, and you have lecturers from UK, Netherlands, UN UN Studio. So they actually fly in weekly on a weekly basis, one hour two hour flight, and they take another two three hour train two hour university to teach. So what that offers to the university is that you get a whole different variety of knowledge and mm. um, style. Or behavior, or character, design character, uh, within one institute. So it's it, you couldn't exactly say that this is better than that. That is better than this. Mm. I was under a wing of a uh, a German architect, and he was part of the um, the co-writer doing the Neufeld Volume Two. Mm. So he he is extremely composed, but my friend pointed out to me that. Do you notice how he actually exerts his point of view in a very subtle way that make mm. you feel that this is how I feel about things. This is how it should be. He uses silence when he presents. He uses um, uh, eye contact when he wants to to send a message. So I guess these are things that it, you couldn't exactly say those are architecture, right? Mm. But those are pointers in life that how you could be a successful storyteller. Whether it's successful or not, it is. It is up to you how you can use it because different people will have different ways of sharing the way they present themselves. Where this is what I picked up from this lecturer, and it's very nice to learn and just observe how they carry themselves. So, would you say it's just architecture? Not really. Um, I would say like architecture has like a a part of it, probably fifty percent, and another fifty percent is really like learning. The the way of creating rapport, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because y- yesterday we did some short chat before this started, and I find that because a lot of uh questions that I ask and get the the answer from you is, it doesn't have the cer- certain uh confirmation on things because you are quite open to all sort of possibilities. That's why I think it it opens another new. Um, journey to your career, what you are doing now, which is, you know, like there is no, there is no hundred percent certain about it. There's you just go with the flow, and then when there's a chance, you will grab it precisely and you use it, appreciate it. So I think that somehow opens up the new idea that um, es- establish a firm. So 
I, I believe that you've been working for like a year. Um, you did mention like you've been working for a year before you um, study abroad. And when you come back and then you have a studio, like now it's about like three years LM studio. So, um, you know, coming, coming back from, from, from Bauhaus or, or coming back from Germany, it, it somehow creates so much um, varieties or diversity of knowledge. I believe that somehow influenced your understanding to, you know, why not just try to have a new challenge that create a new milestone in your life. So I wanted to know, like, because you did in, in the website, it says that um, it was uh, six people, like, like six graduate from, from, from uh, DIA, right? So is that like a group work so, sort of like create this kind of spark that... Uh, why not we, we, we create a firm? Or is it like yourself that you're thinking, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to start this firm to do things, you know? Um, um, so uh, the six, number of six is actually the number of people we have in our firm. Um, ah. But I started together with my very close friend, uh, Nicholas, who we shared the journey in Germany together. We came back and then figured like, hey, that's a project that we could run want to try it out like so let's do it then that's where we started one project and then the second one started coming in third fourth fifth so up until now we probably have like close to 50 projects also um it has been fun but along the way uh my friend decided that he wanted to try something else in architecture which is parametric where i where i shared with you mm. so um he we parted ways of course in a very very good terms no worries we we are still very close so it is very interesting to see how different paths take you differently. I'm not exactly saying that I'm open to everything, but uh, partly, of course, some of the experiences I had in Germany um, form some of the belief system that I treat certain issues or how I view certain things. It is still a very, very steep learning curve, mm. it, especially the first two years. Or, well, every year has a different learning curve, I would say. You know, you start having to look at architecture as a business, like you mentioned to me, right? Um, that hasn't been easy because we are all trained as creatives. Where does this whole business uh, mindset come from? And how do you build it? How do you learn it? That's where you should really soak yourself into different knowledge and trainings, courses, whatever you can do. Just, just try to do so. And then, voila, you know, make the best out of it mm. and wing it. Mm. That's interesting though. It's like, I see a very young, young blood in your, in your company as well. Like, um, I see most of your colleagues are quite young as well. Right. And how, how many, how many of them now currently? Uh, we have six full time and one intern. Right. So every now and then we hope to have one intern with us because, uh, that also things that we could learn from the intern. Mm whether it's uh, some of the fresh knowledge that they share, whether it's the way of dealing with uh, students, you know, there are different ways. How, how should we bridge the gap between uh, the academy and the industry, right? Mm. Mm. I think that's one of the other focus that we are looking at. In mm. um, speaking of learning-wise, right, because uh, I would say it's quite young to, you know, like, like, like a firm to you know establish at this age um i think it's quite young and uh, i think 
In speaking of the projects just now, you did mention like the, the amount of the work. Um, I believe that we can talk about it later on, on how many chances or how many amount of the effort should be, should be allocated into, you know, so much projects when you have quite a limited resources. But so, so I'm curious that because you, you as the founder, I, I, I'm keen to know that later. Um, and, and speaking, sure. coming back, coming back to learning, right? Because, um, especially when the projects that most of the colleagues that you guys are working on are architecture trained, right? So are they, are they like interior design uh, trained as well? And, and I'm curious that because I looking through your portfolio, most of them are interior design. So where do you learn this kind of uh, technique or... Um, new agenda, I would say. So, how where where do you learn? Is it like you learn from um, contractors, or is there someone experienced backing up you guys? Um, we have uh two architect graduates with us, and the rest of them are interior designers. Mm. So, um, where do you learn? There's so many places you can learn from. Mm. Number one, like I believe very strongly is to be as observant as you can and um wherever you go whether it's a shopping mall whether it's a restaurant just step inside feel everything look at the lights how how the light bounces off the wall how how the the, the wood panel on the wall feels mm. you know mm. what kind of uh, color is being put upon the floor the ceiling i think those are extremely important and of course, the curiosity lead, leads to more and more. And then you try to patch things up and figure the, the, the blanks that you don't understand. So obviously, if I look at it, I know it's a wall panel. It's, it's a timber plan, panel. Mm -hmm. how, how is the timber panel going to be attached to a, a plaster wall? Mm. So you got to figure what's happening behind that scene, right? That's number one, which mm. is also something I advocate all my, my, my team mates to really be as conscious as possible towards their environment. Mm. Number two, have have any have as much conversations as you can with con contractors. Try to subtly dig out things that you want to learn. They are, they're very much willing to teach you. A lot of people would reckon that you know if I ask I I would seemingly sound stupid or inexperienced. It doesn't really matter. It's really fine to be inexperienced and wanting to learn more. Mm. You know, have you kept, came across like one of your juniors coming to you and ask you like, hey, what is this? You would definitely want to share what you have and then want to learn from them. Mm. Same goes to contractors. All you have to do is just ask whatever that's going on with what's happening in this project. If you want to try segue another question that leads to another project that you want to learn about, just go ahead, right? Mm. Just like, hey, you know, uh, now that we're talking about glass canopy, could you also share what happens uh, if I want to put up a glass railing? You know, in mm. future, maybe I might want to share that uh, with my client and hopefully we can build that as well. Mm. Of course, they will want to show you, okay, glass railing is being done this way, that way, this way. So that is a great opportunity to learn. And of course, there seemingly, let's say we have 52 weeks a year. If mm. you could potentially arrange one contractor to come over to your office to have a chat with you, spend two hours, three hours, have the whole team to listen to it. Think about how much value you could get from that, mm. right? 
in the year round, you only learn from 50 contractors and those are 50 great teachers with experiences. Um, yeah, that's, that's something very, very important. Mm -hmm. I think two of that is very much in, enough to really let you grasp a lot of things that you don't know. But at the end of the day, it's not just whether it's architecture jumping in the interior or not or whatnot. If I were to be an architect and one day I decide to just jump into accounting, right? Mm. So how it's definitely going to be hard, but think about it. You are just a sponge, right? How much of water you want to absorb from a pail of water, it depends on you. Mm. So just go out and absorb them. That's how I feel about it. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. That's, um, that's very important, you know, um, the, the attitude that drives the practice is that the the the, the behavior or the um the ways of seeing things with curiosity mm. so that's the point that you know it's 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 not about how many assistants that helping you you know it's about yourself and how do you see things that's that's probably the the most important way to learn things. And if, if let's say there is like even star architects be behind you helping you, but if you don't have that kind of behavior, there's no point, right? Um, that's that's what I think. And I see that you know a lot of projects that you've been done. Um, and and throughout some stories that you've been the the, the Instagram shared, it's like a lot of tries and errors, but that's that's where we can learn the most, isn't it? And and, and in architecture school, we don't really dealing with a lot of interior, even though we are talking about, you know, architecture is all about space, about um, human feelings or whatnot, but we didn't really go into details like how to terminate these joineries, for example, or how to blend these two materials. So that's a mm. very detailed things or very particular about interior design. Um, so so you yourself stepping into this new, new realm, I would say, so how do you see the challenge like because for example materials or catalogs right when talking about like solid surface or talking about like uh bound flooring or one or even like uh plastic ceiling uh plaster ceiling or even lighting fix uh fixtures or things like that so for you how do you see that like as a new challenge for you to learn again like which is not taught in in architecture school right I think there are a lot of things are not taught in architecture school and you couldn't just see uh, learning an interior material as something that is non-architecture related. Mm. It is 100% architecture related up to the type of hinges is being used in the cup, the cup cap cabinetry, right? Uh, what kind of uh, plywood, what kind of uh, block board, melamine board, mm. those are very much interior related and sometimes as architects would potentially take for granted that that is not something that I need to learn because those are interior scope, right? So um, simply imagine that if you actually know every single thing, I mean, how valuable you could offer to people around you, people wanting to learn from you. So I guess um, try not to restrict the fact that, oh, this is new. How do I cope with it? But technically, if you step into an architecture firm, Managing a project is 100% new as well. Uh, learning how to issue site instructions, architect instructions, um, RFI, request for information, right? Those are very dry, bureaucratic stuff that architecture has to, uh, architects have to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, that is when, when I was working in uh, the corporate, running this uh, half a billion project, mixed project, right? So, 
that's where I learned all this bureaucratic stuff. I mm. tried to inject them into an interior firm. You know, those are bit by bit. Uh. But end of the day, when you say learning something new, man, I, I couldn't even count the number of things I had to force mm. myself to learn mm. <laughs> along the way. Accounting, mm. hiring, mm. HR, mm. dealing with the LHDN and whatnot. Yeah, so it whether you are working for someone or whether you're working for yourself, trying hoping to build a business out of nothing, just try to stay curious, really push boundaries, stay curious, really. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> you will never know when those uh, knowledge will come handy for you in future. Mm. I believe that, you know, you you yourself being a founder, um, apart from what you're saying, you have to do business or marketing or those, those things because technically you are the like a leader to, you are holding a responsibility for others also. So that's why I was thinking uh, employer is sometimes he- more, more he- having more headaches than, than an employee. So that's the difference, you know, a, a leader and between a boss, you know. So you yourself actually participate along with them and understand what 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 they are what are they doing and also you try try to strive for the best for everyone you know um and and recently i noticed that you've been launching a series of art and design um lecture series i would say it's like sh- um sharing session uh, lecture yeah, sharing session, hangout session, design mm. talk. I was trying to make it as casual as possible. Right. Yeah, I even have friends coming up with a new series called Archie Lecture, you know. <laughs> right, <laughs> So there's right. so many words you can stick with. Archie. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's a hangout series that uh, we kickstarted. Um, it's, uh, we have three episodes right now. So this weekend, we will have the fourth episode. Mm. It's been very exciting, fun. I mean, I'm not very used to speaking to the camera, and now you see, like it gets it gets okay over time. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, just try it. Uh. Why not? <laughs> because I I noticed that the first one is talking about uh parametric design, right? And then the recent oh, the first one... one is uh the first one is um exhibition design, automotive automotive exhibition design. I see. So okay. I have a friend who is still working in Germany, um, Frankfurt. She works with an architecture firm that does designing for exhibitions mm. for Audi, Volkswagen. Mm. So you kind of design like this entire structure, mm. set it up for three hours, just rip it out. That's right. the first one. Right. The primary trick is the second one. Mm, mm, mm. But it's very interesting that, you know, it's beyond what we defining architecture is like... Uh, um, or interior, you know, it's like how what's the structure or... Is your is your works published in Art Daily or Design, you know? But it's it's went beyond architecture, you know. It's like it dealing with design or approach or philosophy. And then re- recent one I noticed is uh, a- is it an any from the Anis. the pho- Anis. Anis, the, mm. the the photographer, right? Yeah. So that's very interesting to see that those are little components that make out a human way of life. And I wanted to know, like, because nowadays a lot of people are actually doing this in response to lockdown or even because of COVID-19, right? Um, well, not not to be accepted. Uh, this, this this podcast is actually part of it. <laughs> but so I wanted to know, like, what is your interpretation of COVID-19? Like, do you see it as a time to pause for our planet? Or do you see it, or maybe it's a biological weapon, allegedly. <laughs> so I wanted to know, like, what is your interpretation of this thing happened 
all around the world. I mean, it happened abruptly. Uh, a lot of things went into halt. Um, our yearly annual targets uh, most likely will be missed. Um, but at the same time, you might look. You might want to look at it uh, from a different perspective. I'm sure there are the good sides of things and then there are the bad sides of things. The good sides, people will be like, you know, think about it, take a break. It's a time to learn, time to rebuild. It really depends on who who you're speaking with because there are different struggles that people are going through. Mm. For ourselves, for the start, I felt like if that's a two-month lockdown that I have to go through, then essentially maybe this year I might have gained this extra two months. Instead mm. of 12 months in 2020, I will have 14 months. Mm. It depends from which perspective you're looking at because um, it was there were there were down times and up times when I was really like lethargic, not knowing what to do. At the same time, you get very anxious of like what to do next. If this is going to go down for three months, six months, what's going to happen to the company? Because you have you have team a team to support right mm. so uh from my perspective this is actually it's from a pers- very personal point of view that it's for self-reflection and mm. it was pretty good for my team we kind of bonded and cre- created greater connections we bonded like never before that we never realized how much we did not know each other. So now everyone seemed to have a better communication knowing how each other work. Of course, I put in certain set of uh, exercises for them to do in, in for, for instance, um, this is something I call GAINS, G-A-I-N-S. So it's about goals, speaking about your goals, your aspiration, your, in, your interests, network and skills. Okay, so imagine I would have to carry out this whole exercise review for two hours me sharing all of this to you and you sharing with me. Mm. I'm pretty damn sure that you and I will create a greater bond, me knowing where, where you're coming from, how mm. your thought process is, mm. your upbringing and whatnot, right? Um, pro- probably you might realize that I play badminton and you play badminton. It's like, oh, cool. You know, mm. when you're back in Malaysia, why not let's, let's hang out, you know? Mm. Stuff like that. It's just very small things that create the human connection. And that's what I wanted to achieve for our company. So, um, I'll... I was very much focused on to rebuilding the internal parts of the company mm. than probably just looking at this world and respond, not knowing how to respond to it. But of course, uh, from a very creative architecture point of view, you got to figure a new way to, to find sales, right? Find customers, reach out to more people. One, one way I figured around it was to provide knowledge and education. So, of course, with our very limited means of um, capability and ability, why not I bring on, I bring on people who have different experiences and share on the mm. platform? Mm. Perhaps it's exactly like what you're doing right now. Mm. It's it's about creating a community, connecting people. Once you have this network of people who could share a same conversation, you who knows it will come handy and people will find support amongst each other down the road mm. and that's what i'm envisioning right now mm. yeah mm. because i i believe that the, the the sharing session is also playing that part of the element as well so like it's much more inclined into a selfless education system in a way that is very casual 
but yet you learn something, even though it's maybe just one hour from the presenter or, you know, lesser mm, than that. Mm. But we can... No, actually, actually, it goes more than that. It goes until like three, four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Including, you see, I think I think what's interesting about the sharing session is that it's not about... I mean, of course, the content from the presenter is very important. But when it comes to later, like Q&A session or even the interaction yeah. session is the where the idea yeah. bouncing together, you know? And yeah. that's the beauty of how we see ideas can be connected and how openness and curiosity opens up is, you know, probably like unlimited possibilities for everyone mm. to think about. And speaking of education, because yesterday we did talk about um, parametric design and you did mention mm. that it wasn't really a thing that you specialize in, but then after that you grow into this interest because of the people around you. And I, I don't think that I, I, we will go through more detail about the parametric design but personally, I think parametric design is like a new thing, um, probably probably like similar like how Beam hit to Malaysia market. So parametric parametric design itself is like a new system or approach that I see there is a chance that can be you know, uh, spark a new light in Malaysia market. So how do you see that uh, the the potential of parametric design? involved into maybe your design or even Malaysia architectural education or even for developers? Um, of course, this is something that would be great if the big boys are, are starting to play with it. Mm. And of course, this is what one, uh, my friend is trying to do. Um, took him three years to actually inject this idea into his boss's head to realize that, oh, man, this is this is something that we could do. So, of course, the boss got addicted and realized that, well, we can do a lot of competitions with that because it creates beautiful things, right? And then when in response to the smaller things, how could we actually make it useful? Mm. Or is it something that we want to spread? Is this the future of architecture? No one knows. But one thing for sure we could really try out is to, to create conversations around parametric and allow people to experience or learn something about it and realize the potential. If it works, it works, right? So where do we start? Of course, from the students. A lot of students will have fear to kickstart this sort of new initiation. Mm. Like imagine you were using SketchUp all this while, then suddenly I'm going to ask you to use Rhino. How do you mm. feel about it, mm. right? So those are the fear that is instilled in students where they realize like, oh, time is ticking how much time I have left. Um, finals is just two months away. Do I want to take this risk? Well, think about it. People are thinking risk every day, even at work. And then the, the dollars are running, right? Mm. So it is a very long conversation I've had with my friend in order to spread the message of what parametric design could be a potential to what architecture is. How do we do it? probably from having talks in universities, sharing sessions, building workshops, online courses, small ones, you know, mm. like probably a six hour course a day for three days. People get a glimpse of it, come up with a product, figure if that's something that they want to do for their finals. Why not? Mm. If mm. they could, they could put it out. So another fear that I noticed is that students are unsure if they could really invest into this 
whole new method of architecture mm. because um because they may be afraid that their lecturers may not be fond of it because there are a lot of uh, old school lecturers maybe mm. maybe worry of this going against the fundamentals of architecture right so it's never ending you know things like that it's such open ended that you if you put 10 people into this conversation you can run all week <laughs> yeah it's 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 quite similar scenario to Revit as well you know back in back in like when i was studying in Taylor's Revit yeah. as is 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 there but it's just that it's quite new for students to to um try it out you know and personally i'm quite skeptical about it because it's like oh shit i need to learn a new thing again uh, you know it's like autocad mm. already out, outdated in a way because Revit is a new norm now. It's like it, it becomes it is, it like is, a definitely. yeah. It's like a new thing that become necessary for the students. And then if let's say we introducing a new software called Rhino or or Grasshopper, you know, those mm-hmm. are things that are very common back then. But now it, it came back as a new movement. I would say let's say this mm-hmm. movement called parametric design. Then it will create a sort of a new I would say it's a new option it's not a new necessity in a way that if you want to go for it then why not you know so it opens up a lot of uh, possibility for students to choose instead of you know back then in our high school time we have to learn everything and then you might not using it like bio, biology or chemistry right but and then I find it like oh shit I, I've been like wasting so much time to learn about it I mean it's good to know but it's just that it doesn't really make use of my current stage or things, you know. So I think it's, it somehow can be open and then after that, it's totally up to the students to filter mm. and choose. And speaking of the working culture um, affected by COVID-19, just now you did mention about gains, which I think is very interesting. So I'm not sure if let's say COVID-19 didn't, didn't strike at this point of time, Perhaps people don't don't practice this kind of leisure or reflection, you know. It will just keep on working and busying. Um and 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 I noticed that is there's one project in your portfolio is very related to this. It's called Happy Meter. So mm. um it says that people won't be looking for the best paying job, but it's a most satisfying job. So in this yep. case, do you mind to share what is the project about and also is that a competition or conceptual <laughs> thought out of your own practice and if let's say we're putting this kind of thing into reality do you think that this happy meter will um testing out like for example in your company or your colleagues do they think that do you think that the satisfaction of the job is more important or is it about the amount of the monetary value is more important it is a competition that we signed up for by non-architecture EU. Mm. So it's a very interesting um, setup of setup of competitions where they segregated the competitions into food, leisure, work, uh, play. Right. So the one with, that we went for is work. Um, it is something that we dwell upon day after day and realize that what would really make sense of rewarding your employees. Hmm. What are people really searching for and seeking on a day-to-day basis, stepping out of their house, feeling happy, feeling sad, feeling excited. Hmm. 
is it the culture? Is it the the work that they want to work for, or is it the money that they want to bring home? Hmm. So everyone has a different way of quantifying what their value is or the work they are putting in. Hmm. So that actually leads to political issues in office, unhappiness, people being underpaid, being people being overpaid. So. That is what I and my team identified. So, what is the ultimate um, value that we seek for is actually happiness, right? So, what leads to happiness is ultimately very simple. If I'm doing something that I like, I'm getting paid fifty ringgit a day. I'm okay. If I'm doing something I'm un- unhappy with, about getting paid five hundred a day, will I be happy? It depends, because. If I'm coming from a very wealthy family, money is all right, you know. Money is not something hard to come by. Getting paid five hundred bucks a day, it's no big deal, right? So, I mm. would I work on that, and then it leads to everyone's perspective of their value of job. Mm. So, if I'm gonna sweep the floor every day, what kind of value do I see from that? And it makes me happy. So, that's where the happy meter starts ticking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are just finding a way around in this utopian, uh, imaginary world to have a very work-life balance. I would say work-life balance, but it's it's a very balanced way of approaching work mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are happy to work twelve hours a day, but I'm only happy to work two hours a day. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm okay to be paid less because I'm working two hours a day. So why not? Because mm-hmm. it's a happy, right? Mm. Uh, so it's a very conceptual thing that we played with, lah. Mm. It is very yeah. subjective as well. It's like very yeah. hard to define a so-called happiness for everyone. Um, That's right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of references that I can relate to. For example, like Sigmund Freud talking about civilization and his discontent. Happiness is the basis of our human lifestyle. If you think mm. about it, whatever we do is just for the sake of happiness. Um, you just don't want to get hungry because you don't want to be unhappy. You know. Um, in speaking of that, then I can relate to another project that um, I would say is one of the one of the most influential incident in Malaysia history. Um, let's talk about MH three seven O. I think it is a open pavilion, right? And I'm not sure about the how does it come from. So please enlighten us about it. And uh, I, I I really like the idea that you actually go uh, you know go down with your own hands and you know chopping down the bamboos and then hanging out the, the, the cloth and things. So mm. how, how does that project comes from and uh, how do you perceive that incident? Because that incident is really um, mind-blowing to a lot of people as well, for, especially for Malaysians, you know? Mm. Um, I myself, I, I am very guilty of not being very in touch with what this uh, incident has implied on me. The implication of it uh, varies from people to people, right? So I remember when the basing of 370 happened, it was probably a month or two before I flew to Germany. Mm. So coming back to 2019, which was uh, last year, mm. my friend uh, asked me if I was interested to think of a event setup for mm. MH370. So it drew my curiosity and I was like, what's it for? 
it's basically the fifth um, year of com- commemoration of right. the right. missing MH370. So they wanted to do something different. So every year they will have something different that is being taken place during this this date. Uh, there are lighting of candles. There will be releasing of doves. So everything is very symbolic. So we came along and they said that they had no budget and obviously we weren't exactly thinking of, you know, putting to, to get money off this, this kind of stuff. We just wanted to be part of this whole movement. Mm. So it ha- it was held in Publica and then we came together. I brought in some friends and we brainstormed an idea out of it. What could we do about it? So what makes this year different aside from the fifth year is that they are bringing one of the the broken mm. aeroplane wing mm. to site for mm. everyone to view. So I guess that's where it hits really hard. So what we actually thought of was to create a walkthrough experience leading towards the wing and therefore creating a sort of temporary structure made out of bamboo. Mm. And the bamboo was sourced from all the way from Ulu Langat. Okay. So we kind of ordered the bamboo a week before and then the Oran Asli said like, how, how, how many do you want? I'll just cut it down three days before you want it. So they, they actually go all the way in and then chop, chop and then I ordered a lorry and then sent it all the way to Publica. Oh, actually not Publica. We actually sent it to my, my sister's uh, warehouse where we actually mm. tie them up together. Mm. So how do I tie it up together? And, and then of course with limited skills, I have a very good friend who who was my high school friend. He's also a scout. Mm. He brought along another 12 scout members from my ex-high school, Catholic High. Mm. And then we all just tied, tied them up together with uh, a jute rope. So it was a very fun and painful experience at the same time. We did that whole thing for like close to 12 hours tr- mm. from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. Mm. Setting it up that only lasts for four hours, you know, three, four hours. Oh, it was, so it was it's, great. It was great. Mm, so yeah. it's not a full day thing. It's, it's not even half day. No, it's not a full day thing. It's it's just a short, short morning. Mm. But personally, mm. I, I like the fact that even though it wasn't implied a heavy budget or whatnot, but using a simple materials with just cloth and bamboo, but with a little wind, it creates that kind of poetic space, you know? It's like it doesn't need to cost much to... You know, always be, that's why I, it's, a, it's a dilemma that people will think, oh, architecture costs a lot of things or costs, costs a lot of money, costs a lot of effort. But it's true. But it's just that there's another way around that humble energy can actually bring up or uplift this, uh, this, uh, this sort of atmosphere. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I noticed this is the two key projects that you've been doing, like uh, mm. not really a highly profile uh profited projects i would say because other than mm. that you see like interior design or or even now you're doing a residential renovation those are the things that are driving profits to your company right um mm. so i wanted to know like when you are doing this sort of mix right how do you see to sustain yourself or keeping a balance that we can have a fun in conceptual or pavilions things and also we can have commercial projects to driving the realistic point of your company so do you see that you still balancing out this kind of like a team that team A, you can go ahead and find team B, you focus on commercial or is it like all in into one time? Um, 
and it's still something that we are trying to learn along the way, balancing out what's important and what's urgent. Mm. So many people still fail to uh, identify the difference of that. So what is urgent? Basically, everything we see on a daily basis is urgent. You know, when it comes right in front of your face, then you just want to solve it, right? Mm. Because I want it now. I want it now, right? Mm. Uh, that it's that uses a very, very reactive manner of uh, dealing with things. But when you say how do we balance this, technically speaking, you should actually have a formula that balances up what, how much, how many hours you're spending on this project and how many hours you're spending on that project that actually come back to the check and balance of your company, the PNL, which is a profit and loss. Right. So obviously doing a marketing budget or a time, when I say budget, it could be time, it could be money, right? Spending amount of effort in doing marketing, I would believe competition is part of marketing. Mm. But think about how much morale it boosts your company, mm. how much fun your, your, your teammates would have from doing that. So that is something that you could actually surgically tabulate them out as to how much you're getting from this and how much you're charging different clients, right? Mm. Yeah. So well, if you, if I do not really have like a specific answer to that mm. at the moment, because sometimes we feel that, oh, we have extra time. So should I dwell with another competition or should I use my effort and manpower to go mm. for marketing and sales? Mm, 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 mm. It depends, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um. And then you just now did mention. Uh. We we back to the you know just now you did sharing about the real reality of how a company works and also, apart from having fun, we still need to, uh, feed our bank back pocket or whatnot, right? Um. In in speaking of that, because it reminds me that back then there was one interior designer t- talking to me and saying that, you know, you you architect uh, architecture students after graduated. Um, you will start with interior projects and you just imagine like how many students graduated and they will start with projects that low risk or lower um, profit in a way to to compete with other interior designers as well. But for yourself, I, I'm not saying that it's not, it, there's no right or wrong in this case, but it's just that that's the reality of how uh, society works, you know. So I wanted to know, like, how do you see the uh, competence of this industry, like between architecture and uh, interior design? And also, you just this mentioned about like fifty projects you guys have been working together, and I wonder what is the chance or the frequency to get a project pitch throughout this whole process? Is it like maybe out one out of ten to get get it approved by the client? Hmm. So. Uh, what's the percentage of um the passing rate or, or the mm. acceptance rate, right? Mm. Um, we're trying to push it as high as possible, of mm. course, where we actually put in a lot of uh SOP templates to have our clients run through, just mm. so that they are very confident to hiring us. So those are the kind of things that we upgrade and improve over time. Even during this MCO period, we're gonna review this whole process of uh deal closing, mm. so we call it. Right. If I'm going to spend seven meetings to close a deal, why can't I just spend three to close this deal? So how could I reduce the amount of work and time 
in order to convince the client. So that's a whole big different separate story, right? Mm-hmm. So answering your question, um, uh, in regards to the architects overstepping the boundary into the interior realm, mm. it I I couldn't have a very um specific answer to that, but there is a story that I could share with you. Someone that I met today in a Photoshop, I would call it mm. like a, a, a literally a photo camera shop mm-hmm. where they print photos and snap photos for you, right? Portraits and whatnot. Mm. So I was there to get my, my passport photos done. Mm. What happened was that I was having a casual chat with them and asked him, how much do you charge for photo printing 4R, 3R? And then he started going all the way back to the days where we were using film in the mm. 90s, coming mm. up to like uh, how much per, per photo. Uh, I think it's probably like 30 to 40 cents per photo. And mm. then it went up. And then digital camera came in. They started charging 30 cents to 40 cents per photo to print. Mm. People were printing photos, right? Digital camera came in. That's when people started buying cheap DSLRs, right? And then uh, for the last 10 years, what happened was smartphone came out. Mm. So people stopped printing photos again because now you have cloud sort uh storage and then people can just send photos around view for photos on their phone clearly nicely edit photos on their phone as well so people tend to print less photos they develop less so the price actually gone from 35 cents up to 80 cents again so what does that tell you it doesn't really tell you much of a huge picture of what's going on but the guy who's working in the photoshop is still the same guy Mm. But the market trend has been shifting mm. over time because mm. they are reacting to the technology that has been released over time. Let's not talk about just this last 30 years. Let's draw back even further, 100 years ago. Mm. He was sharing with me that his grandfather used to shoot photos for weddings. Mm. You can have the whole family all queued up there waiting to serve tea but not starting because the photographer is not there yet. So the mm. photographer comes in and then they will start the, the, the ceremony. Mm. During the dinner, the photographer actually gets a table by himself and get to dine and then, you know, enjoy the dinner and then does his job and continue. Right now, if you get a dish of fried rice for your photographer during wedding dinner, it's, it's, it's like a blessing. So mm. what does that say, you know? Um, things will change over time. There are demands where people uh, uh, would prioritize over time. I wouldn't say that this is directly uh, in correlation to your questions because, um, but I felt like it's something, it's great for us to take away Mm. that we have to be resilient and be adaptive over time to serve the market. And I would say that it's entirely... um, one one fault or another fault, you know? So from interior's point of view is that, you know, architects are all coming mm, in, in mm. you know, taking up the resources and um, taking up the resiki, right? So mm, we call. Mm. Um, but then again, the passing rate in of, of being an architect in Malaysia is extremely low. How many architects are there? 2,900 something or 2,700 mm. something or less than 3,000 architects in Malaysia. Mm. There is a comparison of the number of architects in 
in correlation with to the overall population. So in Malaysia, we have 3,000 architects to 30 million uh, population, mm. right? So mm. I don't know how many percent is that. I'm quite bad at it. It's 0 0.001, I guess. Mm, mm, mm. In Germany, there are 80 million people. So mm. they are almost three times the amount of Malaysia. Mm. But there are 300,000 architects, mm. licensed certified architects. Mm. So, uh, then from a very, very pleasant point of view in Malaysia, you say that, oh man, look at people's passing rate. Out of 80 million people, there are 300,000 architects. We only have 3,000. We have 0.1% of their number. Hmm. And from, from whose point of view would you say? From Malaysia's point of view is that from students, way of thinking is that, well, it's so hard to be an architect. Mm. But from an architect's point of view is that, man, we have so little architects, we are getting all the jobs. And let's move to Germany and have a look from what they might think. They would probably think that, hey, um, there are too many licensed architects. Mm. We do not have a chance to even get a job. Mm. So what do we do now? Mm. Yeah, so... I feel that I hope I'm answering your question, but I guess I'm not exactly answering mm. it directly. Mm. But there's a couple of few different scenarios that plays out differently to to let us understand that understand better of the situation rather than just uh, reacting to what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally agree that because well, you you we we can't deny that in every industry or every sector of your business there will be a crisis there will be obstacles for for every individual to deal with. Um, mm. I'm not saying that, you know, it's not like, it's not like the current, you know, recently there's this uh, Miss Universe talking about like, because you are born mm. like this, then you have to accept like that, you know. But my, my point mm. is that if, if, if there's a chance like this happen, then you have to um, deal with it and evolve, you know. It's not like you statically, it, it won't change, you know. So you have to deal with and that's why I was thinking, how do we change the role of architects or even uh, interior designer? I'm not saying that um, architects is right or wrong or even interior right or wrong at this point. It's just about, we should look at the time changing as well. It's, and, and, and thanks for the sharing about what you were saying about the, the, ra the ratio about what architects can deal with, how many people, you know. And I, I saw it on Reba as well. It's like, what is the ideal... Uh, proportion is like one architect to how many customer, isn't it? Um, but it's just that we can't deny the fact that market is changing, political is changing, societal change is there. Mm. So, um, and not to forget that being an architect, they have to compete with interior design and mm. not to mention there's, there's even students who are doing freelance as well. So you, you see how dense is the competition is happening there. And mm. uh, I, I can't, it's, it's not a blame game, but it's to um, change and to discuss, sit down and see how do we move on together, mm. move mm. forward together. Um, mm. So let's now talking about like interior projects, right? Um, mm. I noticed that recent one you completed like office for big names like uh, Property Guru or things. Um, I wanted to know like, because in, in the current stage, like working, work, work, working from home is like a new norm. So how do you see like designing an office for people to to use it? 
what are the new things that we have to inject, right? Mm. It is something definitely we have yet to look into. Mm. But what is interesting is that through this period, we actually carry out internal competition among our teammates. So we're just saying like, this is year 2023. Imagine the cinemas are empty, the parking lots are empty, the roads are free. You know, fill up the, the rest of the sentence. How should people live in right now? So it's 2023, it's not too far away, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, things are changing. It's just like, you know, back when you're in primary school, you kind of fill up, a, you kind of finish up a sentence of a karangan, an essay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just one of the fun things that we did. Lah. Um, of course, home home office is something that you have to seriously look into. It's not just about putting a chair and a table and voila, you're done. You really should have to understand the storage. How much storage would you need for filing? What kind of filing do you need? Personal, banking, home, loans, whatnot. Uh, that is something that you really have to thoroughly go through with your client. And then when you go down deeper into soundproofing for your home office, blah, blah, blah. You know, it goes over uh, on and on. Then now you want to jump back into uh, office designing hmm. where... We're also doing a few of them, which uh, which of the floor plans have been approved. But I guess the number one criteria is to have a, a greater spacing because mm. there are standards that you have to follow in an, in an optimum, comfortable office to work at. You would need at least 100 square feet mm. per person. Uh, 1,002 square feet place like ours, we have 10 people mm. working here. So technically you can fit 12 max. And it really it is very true. The more it gets, I, I tell you, you can't really fit comfortably in, in this whole space anymore. Mm. So I couldn't answer your question exactly, but mm. it is definitely something that we are looking into, mm. explore and see how we could solve people's problem. Mm. But what uh I'm very sure of is that people are looking to have bigger homes if they could offer where they would definitely want an extra room. Hmm. So back then where we used to think, oh, there's an extra room. It could be a maid's room. It could be a baby baby room. It could be a study room. Just let it be, you know, let's see what we can do about it. But now it seems to us that uh, a default study room is extremely important. And hmm. that's what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. But uh, another question is, I wanted to know like personally, what do you think um, working on have a mixture of work and home because um, recently I was re- before that I was really agree with work working from home and then you don't have to travel far um, is it possible that this is a new culture you know but after that I was thinking about it um, another thing is that we are already mixing the identity of a home and a workplace when a home is supposed to be like a it provides a sense of domicile. It's like what uh, Palasma is saying, you know. It's like when you come home, you doesn't want to talk about work. Let's talk about love. Talk about your wife, the uh, girlfriend, you know, or even dog, you know. So those are the things that um compile or shaping the image of home. It's not like when I come home, oh shit, I have to face an AutoCAD or three D again, you know. So how do you see that? Uh, do you agree with working home from home in this sense? I'm pretty pretty sure it affects a lot of people's mental health working from home but there is a difference of choice and obligation or 
being forced, I would say. So this current state, for everyone's safety, you are required mm-hmm. to do so. So having a choice to do so changes the whole perspective and narration. Right. So if I choose to work from home, it's because that's the way I want to work from work, you know, because I'm okay having a bit sitting next to me. I'm okay with the productivity and the efficiency that I'm able to produce. But from my point of view is that as a business owner, it really boils back down to the communication you have with your team. For a creative business, it is extremely difficult to work from home because there are so many miscommunication. For me to draw you out a design is not just drawing out, scanning and sending it to you. Because what kind of... There, there isn't a point A to point Z kind of process thinking and making. Mm. Um, but going back to home, I feel that we should try to strike a balance. Right now, this month, we are doing two days work from home. Hmm. Sorry, I mean two days work in office and three days from home. Okay. But of course, the remaining three days, it depends on how much workload you have. And then if you want to go to site, want to go to office, it's all up to you as and when needed, right? A lot of uh, people are not very comfortable staying at home and then they really just want to break free. They want hmm. to go out. Hmm. Yeah. But up to a point then, when you come back to office, it gets very intense. And I have teammates sharing with me that, oh, it's a bit tiring after coming back to office because things are like one pile over one after another. Mm. Well, it depends how you've been working at home reflects how you are working right now because if you've been working crazily amount of hours at home, coming back to office probably just feels the same because some people are saying that you uh, through this MCO, people are actually working more than ever. Mm. <laughs> and that actually leads to mental health problems. So... Right. It is something very serious that we all have to look into. And mm-hmm. I believe that people who are going through that may not want to speak out because they feel that, you know, they just don't want to be an outcast. Mm. Mm. I hope that your yeah. I hope that your your team must do must be doing quite well because I noticed the story like cooking in office lah, having cocktails lah, it's quite fun. <laughs> I hope that everything goes well. well. Next week we are going to have a steamboat party uh, in the uh, office. That's really uh, nice. I hope lah, but we're, 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 we're very little people lah. Keeping the distance. Yeah, maybe you know. maybe you should test out like a prototype of Happy Meter and then test what they wanted. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm all in for trying out new things to to really gauge what every single person want. Mm. You know, mm. I think that is extremely extremely important. Mm. And mm. and speaking of the working from home, one of the biggest challenges for 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 example, what you mentioned, like creative people, like they have to visit site and then they have to see manufacturers or contractors, right? Um, I noticed that the recent one is talking about there's a lantern, like a glass lantern um, presented in a dining room of a house. So, mm. may I know what is the... Can you briefly share with us what is the project about? At, what, what's the project about? And how does that innovation come to your mind? I believe that um, this pretty much able to conclude what we, we discussed over, uh, over one hour plus now. And uh, how does that comes to a result and an outcome. I, I love how you call it the lantern because we have never ever thought of it as a lantern mm. until you pointed it out and then me and I were like, oh great, that was a great <laughs> description. Um, mm. Probably from now on, I'll call it a lantern as well. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so just, just to have a better understanding of the context that 
uh, you are talking about to our listeners mm. is actually a, a corner house that I designed for my friend. Mm. It's a very close friend, known him since 13, 14 years old. So he's moving in with his family and they wanted to revamp this very, very old house. I think it was built in 1997. So the whole house was torn down and then rebuilt. Uh, so the lantern that you you were mentioning, it actually is a main feature of the house and we wanted to highlight it. It wasn't a main concept that was married into the the, the narration, design narration of the house in the first place, but it was based on functionality requirements. So technically, uh, for better context, that whole glass opening is actually something that leads from the living room to the terrace, the open mm. terrace or the garden. Mm. So typically when you have a corner house, there would probably be a sliding door that leads you out to, to the garden, right? So right here, we want to have ample amount of wind and air to go through to connect the indoor out, outdoor in. So what happened is we have six panels of uh, three feet doors that could open entirely. So once it's pivoted, pivot open, you basically have 100% opening from the living room to the terrace. It gets, gets, it gives you a better picture. I will definitely document a video of this whole house when it's done, hmm. hoping to be done by end of this month. Yeah. And so as and when you want to close the door, you would also want to have ventilation. So that's when the small little lantern opens up to provide a, a one third of the opening ventilation. But when you call it a lantern, it could just be a, like a small little pivoting opening. But we we made grills around it because we wanted to address the safety of the entry point as well, mm, so mm. that people couldn't put their hands in or they could fit their head or their body in. So you can still get a very large opening, and for light could come in, and see is being taken care of as well. Mm. So that was one of the sort of design exploration we had. We we love it a lot. Mm. Everyone loved it. It is being used at the dining as well. If you notice, the dining has been knocked out by four feet. Mm. So we actually created a glass roof over the dining where not many people would accept in Malaysia mm. because it's extremely hot, right? But when you see that morning sun cast into the space, it's it's gorgeous. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, I love I, I I love that the uh, innovation idea, innovative idea as well because I thought it might be fully cladded lantern or I don't know. It's a six or four, five or six sided. Um, welded. it's a hexagonal shape. Yeah. Oh, so it's an eight side. So meaning uh, six, say, six. Six. Okay. Um. Okay. Um, so because I thought I thought it would be fully cladded, then I was thinking, mm, it might be some something quite interesting because I see if let's say you cladded maybe half of it. So when you turn and then you get fifty percent of the opening. So that's a very interesting way to look at how louvers window or case casement window. That's how yep, it plays yep. with the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yep. Okay. So thank you so much. Uh. And before that, I would like to invite you. Can you throw a question to for our audience to think about instead of giving an advice? Wow, what kind of questions that you're looking at? I don't know. It can be anything. It can be just pop out in your head. Like, uh, it can be anything. It can be totally philosophical. It can be totally architectural, or it can be, I don't know. It can be anything. It can be an open think, question. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I guess one of the thing that relates to a talk that we had last week is finding the purpose of what you are doing. So I felt like we ourselves uh, always struggle finding exactly why we are doing what we're doing. Mm. Perhaps this could be a very simple and fun exercise to find out more about yourself, finding the purpose of what you're doing, asking yourself why, what's the big why behind every single thing, be it you're a student or you're working, be it you're a, a father or mother, you know, any anything, right? So uh, this exercise could be quite simple if you are, you're being asked, mm. why are you studying architecture? Say for instance, okay, it could be like, why are you a pilot or why are you an engineer, right? Or why are you working in this company? Very simple stuff like that, right? First, why? Try to ask yourself five more whys behind the answers that you're, you, you, you can come up with. Mm. So give you a very simple explanation. Why are you a pilot? Because I like the freedom of flying and I like to fly a plane. Why do you like to fly a plane? Then you keep answering yourself. If you think five is very simple, try seven. So to a point when you reach the level sevens, you would then find out a, a very, very profound understanding of yourself. Some people may reach certain point and realize that I don't want to get there. Mm. You know, it, it gets quite dark, but it gets really nice at the same time. You will find out more about yourself, like uh, what your human need is mm. as a person. Do you want love or do you want contribution or do you want a certainty in life? So, you know, it, it it's something to ponder upon. Mm. I believe yeah. that your question will somehow explore a lot of whys in every single people. Um, I, I, I'll leave it to our audience. Uh, maybe they were mind blown by their own answer as well. So thank right, you so much. Right, right, thanks right. thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for wonderful sharing. And uh, I'm really no glad problem. to have you on the show. And uh, I hope to see you soon though. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Yep. Hope to see you soon as well. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs>